So it's Mother's Day. I got a text message this week that I've gotten several times in the past, usually right around this time of year. The text was from my daughter, Megan. It said, what do I get her for Mother's Day? What do you get the woman who doesn't want anything and doesn't need anything? And I said, of course I said, you've already given her everything she's ever wanted. And you know, there's that idea that we have that Mother's Day is about something that she wants or needs. Like a new vacuum cleaner, right? Or a, a really good scrubby for the dishes, right? Something that she needs. And it's not something that she deserves, something that she has earned. But it's not. It's a gift. It is an expression of love. Mother's Day gifts are to be a, a blessing. That, that should be true of all gifts though, right? I mean, it should be true of all gifts. You don't earn a gift. You just simply receive a gift. Blessings are, blessings are gifts. They are not to be earned. They are just to be received. And so when we come to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, we need to keep that in mind. The question when we come to the Beatitudes is not, have you been poor enough in spirit to get the blessing? Have you mourned enough by now that you should be comforted? Have you been hungry and thirsty enough for righteousness? No, no, no. It's, it's an acknowledgement. I am empty. And I need Jesus to fill me. That is the only source of filling that I can have. He will do that freely. And so we come there to Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, He went up on the mountain. And when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And He opened His mouth and He taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. (laughs) Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Yeah, but how pure? How pure a heart do I have to be? How do I prove it? That's that's not the point. That is never the point. It's about being willing to receive freely what Jesus freely gives. His blessings, His gifts. And that's tough because every instinct within us tells us this ought to cost us something. Every instinct we have says there's no free lunch. If they're giving you something free, there's going to be a catch. We have this attitude we have to earn it. We have to do something deserving. And, And it's an attitude that we hold And it's an attitude that is so old, in fact, that Jesus had to address that same attitude. And He does so in in what's become one of our favorite parables, one of our favorite stories. It's in Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It's page 869 in those blue Bibles. If you've got the Bible app, you can follow along with the notes there. Luke chapter 10, again, page 869. Beginning in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, 
with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You hear his first question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. I want to earn it. I want to deserve it. I want to own this gift. Not blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, but blessed are those who can achieve this for themselves. And so Jesus turns this notion that this lawyer has, that he deserves this, that he's done something deserving, or he can do something deserving, he turns it on its ear, and he confronts us all with a, with a story that we've come to love, a story that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. Reading on in verse 30, Jesus replied, a man went down, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, by chance, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Which one proved to be a neighbor? The one who showed him mercy. Blessed are the merciful for they shall be shown mercy. Jesus turns the issue from what can I do for myself to what have I done for others. And He turns it from being about what I can do to what I have already received. The mercy I have already received from God. And how do I pass that on to others? Mercy is, mercy is compassion for people in need. That's, that's the simplest definition. Mercy is compassion for people in need. This, this parable tells us what it is. It tells us what it does. But how do we offer mercy to others? I think there are, three, there are three realities about showing mercy that we see in this parable. Three realities about mercy that we need to get from this parable. The first one is simply this. Mercy does not call us to judge others, but to help them. Mercy doesn't call us to judge others, but simply to help them. Jesus gives us some details in this parable that would have been very uh, apparent to His original audience. They would have picked up on Him right away. The man is traveling by himself. And he is traveling that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a dangerous road. It was lined with cliff walls and crags in the rocks where bandits could, could lie in wait for you and waylay you as you came through. And so when you traveled that road, you didn't travel it alone. You traveled it with a caravan. You traveled it with others. You went with people you trusted because there's strength in numbers, right? There's security in numbers. 
And the Samaritan, seeing this man by himself, laying by the side of the road, half dead, could have just as easily said, serves you right. That's what you get when you travel alone on this road. That's what happens. That is our temptation way too often. Way, way more often than we would like to admit. I think we could all confess that. Somebody, somebody gets themselves in trouble. We stand off at a distance. and We have the, we have the, uh, the blessing of being able to view things from, from a bit of a distance. We assess the situation. And we look at what's happened and we say, ah, you ran with, they were running with the wrong crowd. You know? You don't go to places like that or things like that will happen. Yeah, that's why you don't go to places like that. You made some big mistakes and that's why you're suffering for now because you messed up and that's why this happened. Thursday, I was at Starbucks. Thank you to those of you who give me, who give me Starbucks cards for pastor appreciation and birthday gifts because you fuel my ability to write a paper this last week. Thursday, I was sitting there with my iPad furiously trying to finish this paper with stacks of books all around me. And as I sat there on one end of the bench, on the other end, there was a young lady working on her own paper. Hers was late. Mine, uh, mine wasn't quite late yet. And she saw the books I was working from and she started asking questions. Are you Christian? Yeah. Are you pastor? Yeah. And then she told me why she's not a Christian anymore. And she told me why she doesn't go to church anymore. One time, she was very involved. In fact, she told me, she didn't tell me the name of the church that she was a part of. I guessed it because it's not too far from here and I'm at least a little familiar with it. And she said as a high school student, she was very involved. She went every time. She sang in her church and she was very, very active. One Sunday evening, they were having a special youth worship service. And then the songs were moving and everybody was praising God and the leader up front said, if anyone has a need and you would like to come forward for prayer, come forward and we'll, we'll pray for you. And she said, I decided it was finally time to come forward and, and ask for my need. And she went to a lady who was up front, one of the youth leaders, and she told her something she had never told anyone else. She was 16 years old when this happened. She said at, at age 14, she had been raped. And that youth leader from that big church, very active, that youth leader did not say, how can I help? You've been raped. Can we help you get counseling? How can I pray for you? You know what she said? I mentioned this to another young lady and she knew immediately what the question was. What were you wearing? That's what she wanted to know. What were you wearing? What did you do to deserve this to happen to you at 14 years old? Our conversation told me that she still values Jesus. Thinks Jesus is pretty cool. She has no use for churches. She has no use for Christians. I was just honored that she reached out and talked to me. And for the record, it was a t-shirt and blue jeans, which is what I was wearing at Starbucks on Thursday with Absolutely no concern of getting raped myself while I was there. People don't need our judgment. They don't need to know this is what you deserve. They don't need to know. They don't need, they don't need our I told you so's. They need mercy. They need mercy whether that's face to face or whether that's on the other side of a keyboard. Are you hearing me? 
People need mercy on the other side of the... I am so tired of seeing Christians type some of the most horrible, cruel, and unmerciful comments and posts to other people. Comments and posts that don't sound a thing like the heart of Jesus. The hope of the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The hope of the pure in heart is that they will see God. Not that they will get to say, I told you so! The merciful don't say, well, it serves you right. The merciful say, let me help. What can I do to help? Mercy doesn't call us to judge others, but to help them. And from Jesus' parable, we also see another lesson, and that is that mercy might inconvenience us. And when I say might, I am being very generous because sooner or later, mercy will inconvenience us. It definitely will inconvenience us. And we see that in Jesus' parable. In fact, it starts small. The Samaritan is on his own journey and he stops to take care of this man. He binds up his wounds. Where did he get the supplies to do that? He's taking them from his own supplies. He pours on oil and wine, again, from his own resources, from his own provisions, but he gives them freely. And then he changes his course and he takes this man to an inn, spends the night caring for him. From stopping to sharing to caring, this was not part of his planned trip. Mercy might inconvenience us. That's true because we cannot plan being merciful into our schedule. You cannot say Tuesdays from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., that's my mercy time. If you've got an emergency, see me Tuesdays from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. If it's not then, I don't have time to be merciful. I'm all done being merciful. Mercy doesn't work that way. By its very nature, it doesn't come at convenient times. We can prepare for mercy. We can have resources available. You can have a casserole in your freezer ready to go when the call comes that there's been a death in someone's family and you need to go take food. We can have money in the generous buckets, which we do, which are ready to be used to help people in need. And our, our benevolent fund is, is wonderfully filled where we can help people who have needs. We can be prepared, but when the need arises, it's never going to fit into our calendars. It's never going to come at a convenient time. And we need to be okay with that. Jesus' beatitude doesn't say, blessed are the uninterrupted, for they will see God. Blessed are the never inconvenienced, for they will see God. No, it's the pure in heart. It's those who look for God in the opportunities around them, the opportunities that are presented to them. Later on in Matthew chapter 25, we have that parable of the sheep and the goats, and it's there in verse 35 where Jesus says to the sheep, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you said, that's what you get. No. In every instance, the sheep show mercy. And in every instance, the sheep show mercy and they encounter Jesus. We will seldom encounter Jesus just by living by our schedules. Mercy will inconvenience us. Mercy doesn't call us to judge others. Mercy will 
inconvenience us. And mercy will require us to take risks. There's a point that preachers love to make in this parable, and it's not explicitly spelled out, and yet it's there. We have to recognize that it is there. We need to recognize the truth of it because it can happen. It will happen. The Samaritan takes the traveler to, his, to the inn. He cares for him overnight. And then in verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more money you spend, I will repay when I come back. Wow. <laughs> he has just left the possibilities wide open for that innkeeper to take advantage of him, hasn't he? comes back the next time through and he looks at the bill and he says, what's this? And he says, he ordered the lobster. And he had to go get lobster. He ate the cashews from the mini bar. And those are very expensive. Or he asked to have clean towels every day and we don't do that anymore. We seldom do anymore. But the Samaritan puts no limits on his care. He puts no limits on how he will show this man mercy. Mercy will require us to take risks. The risk of people lying to us. The risk of people taking our money. Stealing our time. And as bad as those are, the risk of people stealing our compassion. And that may actually be the worst of all. And we do our best to guard against it. But when someone comes with a need, we ask questions. We have a form to fill out. We ask questions. We do a little research. Sometimes it's just as simple as looking at their Facebook pages to see what the real story is. To see how we can help them. But we still get taken. Sometimes we get taken. I have prayed with so many liars. I have prayed heads bowed, tears flowing. I have prayed with people who were lying to me through their teeth about what was going on in their lives. And just taking our funds. But I was still praying. I was still praying with them. In the end, those were still times of prayer. And in the end, we were still blessed. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. There are The worst thing we can do is harden ourselves to seeing other people's needs because when we harden ourselves to seeing other people's needs, we harden ourselves to seeing God's possibilities. We harden ourselves to seeing Jesus in them. The worst thing we can do is to decide that it, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, or fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And we're not going to be fooled. The worst thing we can do is to start seeing everyone as though they're out to get us. Mercy will require us to take risks and sometimes we will get taken. But when that happens, it does not mean we did something wrong. Rather, it means we have continued to look for Jesus in everyone and we have continued to look for opportunities to show them mercy. You see, mercy is seeing Jesus in other people and showing them Jesus in ourselves. The Beatitudes are a map to Jesus. Remember from the series, The Chosen, Jesus describes the Beatitudes and He says, they're a map to Me. If anyone wants to find Me, these are the people, these are the groups they should look for. And the beauty of these blessings is not just that 
when others come to us, we get to see Jesus in them, but they, when they come to us, we care for them in such a way as they see Jesus in us. When we care for them, when we show mercy, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see Jesus. I want others to see Jesus in us. So let's be willing to look for Him in others rather than judge them by what they're not. And let's be willing to be inconvenient so that we might encounter Jesus outside of our schedules. And let's take risks with our mercy, with our generosity, with our compassion, with our love. Realizing that when Jesus went to the cross, He risked everything. When He went to the cross, He risked us rejecting Him. So let's show those around us the love and mercy that He has shown us. And let's all see Jesus together. The greatest act of mercy that any of us has received is what took place on the cross. And as we come every week to take the bread, to take the cup, we come every week to remember we're reminded of just how undeserving we were to receive this. But rather than judge us, Jesus went to the cross for us. He would have rather not. <laughs> to call it an inconvenience is, is just not even in the, in the language. is not, not the way I would describe it. But it was something that He would have rather not have done. But He saw that we had a need. And that need could only be met on the cross. He risked us rejecting Him. And so many did. So that He could show us His love. We're going to pray. We'll, share, we'll sing a song and share this together. In just a moment. Let's pray together. Father, those blessings, Lord, the, the Beatitudes have become very personal <laughs> over the last couple of weeks. It's no longer blessed are those who are, who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Lord, we, we are crying for those blessings of mercy. The blessings of seeing Your face. And Lord, those do not come easy. We know that they came at a cost for Your Son. But they will come at a personal cost. More than our, more than our bank accounts. More than what we own they will cost us our time. They will cost us our energy. They will cost us our compassion. And yet, the promises are there. Blessed are the merciful. They shall be shown mercy. Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. And if it costs us those things to see You, then it is, it is absolutely worth it. And thank You for the, the bread that reminds us that, that knowing You cost us your son's body broken. We thank you for the cup that reminds us that it cost us, cost him his bloodshed. Let us never forget the cost, the debt that we've incurred to you. And let us never seek, never stop seeking to find you in the way that we love and the way we show compassion and mercy to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.